Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome, everyone, and welcome to this week's guest, Steve X. McNamara. Steve, how are you, my man? I'm good, brother. I'm good, and thank you for having me on. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Looking forward to this. So we, before we jumped on, we were just talking about like the big moment for you, and you said, well, there have been a, a shitload of moments in your life where you've experienced grief, but there was one that really stood out. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah, I like how this is straight into it too, mate. It's good. Um, yeah, well, like you say, there was a number of different, I could have given you a, like a dozen or more different times and answers and everything, but there's one that really sticks out in my mind and um, it was probably, if I, if I look at it, and I've done a lot of work around this one, but um, when I first started looking back at my life at this one moment, I was super embarrassed. I was so ashamed um, of the actual moment Um and how it unfolded was I'd actually um, through uh, through my 20s and my teens, I was like heavily into drugs, alcohol, worked my ass off. I was a hard worker, but um, I always wanted to go work in the mines in the Pilbara um, was always the, the game I was in. I was in um, earth moving and drainage and I was very good at what I did and never really had the courage to actually properly apply for a job and go over there. But this one time I finally connected with the right person over there and I was in. I was like, awesome. So... Um, what, what perpetuated in the week leading up to it was the ultimate self-sabotage, you could say, um, something I'd finally wanted in my life and um, had a lot of things that I was not proud of in my 20s and, um, again, ashamed of and that. And I just wanted to get away. I, want, I knew that going to work in the mines would be a big thing and I decided to go out with some of the boys on the weekend before. I'm like, I'm in. I've got to go to the, the mines. Awesome. Um, it's all happened. Celebrate. Yes, yes, yes. But, I um, yeah, even though I wasn't really – into partying and drinking and drugs that much then when I, I was 30 then I, I had drifted away from it a lot but it was still part of my behaviors it was still all right I'm celebrating all right I'm getting messed up so this yeah. night I went and had whatever I was drunk as um I was having lines of who knows like seriously and it was um even someone actually pulled me out from in front of a car that I didn't know that I jumped in front of it was pretty hectic like going back on it um but I ended up in hospital. Um, they put me in an ambulance because I was having panic attacks. I like couldn't see and um, my phone was flat and I couldn't call anyone or anything like that except the phone numbers I could remember. And I was just in hospital, not because there was anything wrong with me. It was anxiety. It was just extreme and I need to get out of the city. I just couldn't be in the streets. And um, two numbers I had, my mum and my dad. Now, my mum and dad had been separated for a long time. Um, they weren't living together. They were living in very different parts of one in um, 
north Mel- north of Melbourne by a fair bit in the country and the other in sort of north um, east of Melbourne. And um, it was a bit trippy because they both rocked up at the same time. Um, and I, I remember this moment so clear now. Um, my mum was still in her pyjamas and she was like freaking out um coming in and like what's wrong because i didn't even know what i said to him on the phone i'm like i'm just in this hospital come in um and then my dad and like i mentioned to you before the thing he was ready to to like kick me up the ass and i i still i still believe i i don't think we ever deserve to be kicked up the ass physically or anything like that but i actually probably i think that was a time i needed something to just really really ground me and i think he was coming in to ground me in his own special way but it didn't happen that way um i let him know everything was all right and they were well aware that um through my 20s i'd i'd sort of yeah i i'd had battled with addictions and things like that i'd expressed it to them and it was really hard sometimes and i was in and out of court some they knew about some they didn't but this one time i was just like sitting in my dad's uke getting a lift back to where I was living and he was trying to give me some kind of guidance without, he was doing his best to be patient, but without, I could feel his energy. He, he really wanted to wring my neck. He's like, yeah. I think it was a big testing point for him um, as a father then. Um, I had tested him a lot. I was just a reflection. <laughs> I, don't know, I was just like a reflection. I know what he got up to, but it didn't matter. In that moment, I could feel his energy and going back. And I just, I'm just then I'm like, if I pass this drug test I've got this week for the mines, I was still freaking out because here I am taking a heap of drugs and I had a drug test like two days later. I'm like, if I pass it, I'm never doing this again. I'm never going into this life again. Um, I can't, I can't deal. I, I just can't do this. And at the time I was like, I can't do this to my parents anymore. I wasn't going, I can't do this to myself. It's like, that was so embarrassing and shameful. Um, yeah. I can't. And then I got, Fast forward, I, I passed a drug test. I'll be honest, I have no idea how I did that. But the way I saw it, I like something something of a higher power. Whatever I declared in that moment, I'm like, I'm not going back to this. It must have been from really from my my truth and my heart. That's the first time I really felt like, nah, that's it. Um, yeah. There's there's no turning back on this. And um, yeah, I got into the mines, and then the big change of environment happened, and. It wasn't all unicorns and rainbows from there, but that was a huge point in my life. It was massive. Mm. It's amazing how many people have those moments and they don't always talk about it because they think people are not going to believe them. And the amount of stories like that I've heard, I'm sure you've got your own podcast, you've heard stories like that too, where it's like it it doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense, and yet you know what happened and some things are just meant to be, right? Yeah, I... I wasn't, and I mentioned this to you, but I wasn't spiritually, I wasn't spiritual or anything there, but I, something was telling me that I was being looked after. Yeah. Like for this one point, um, and I had these moments throughout my 20s, like there was a court case where I went to that no one knew about except two people for 12 months, and it could have landed me in jail for a long time. Um, I had a moment like that, right at the end of the hearing, the judge said some stuff out of his mouth, like supporting me, and I'm like, where did that come from? Like, and I'm like shit i'm being so looked after here because the prosecutor recommended four and a half years in jail so yeah so i had these moments but this one time i really declared it i'm like that's it i know this is going to be tough and hard but i've been gifted this moment and yeah yeah so you mentioned like not wanting to let your parents down but on top of that or aside from that why do you think that moment in particular was the moment that had you going, we, we need to change now? 
No, I think because for even since my teens, I used to self-sabotage when something was really good for me, really majorly like this. Um, and generally it would lead to alcohol, drugs and violence. And I was so aware of this by now. And I'm like, here I am 30 years old. And I'm like, it was a point where it's like, wasn't grow up, Steve. It was like, hey man, you're like really good at what you do. You're super talented. You're awesome. Like I was, I was the best in my my game or field. I was very, very um, well known and in demand. But the problem I had was I was this angry drug, alcohol, whatever label you want to put it. And I'm like, that wasn't me. No, I knew that. And again, I, I wouldn't admit that at the time. I, I, In my healing journey, I've come to understand that that was what deep down I was like, I knew that that was my point where I was committing to myself to be better, but I, I used the motivation, even though I was away from, I didn't want to make my parents shame, be ashamed of me or I want to make them proud. And as you would know, that's not really a long-term motivator, but at the time I needed that, that, that was my rocket fuel at the time. And then, um, then yeah, years down the track, I really got into the, the reflection of self and, um, that was actually the key. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious specifically around self around self-sabotage because that's a big one for so many people so what did you learn about self-sabotage through that journey i'm sure well i don't know at that's at that time you might not have identified with it being self-sabotage but how i didn't how did know you what the label was <laughs> yeah. yeah so how did you come to learn that and how did you come to start finding the tools and the processes to actually overcome that yeah well that's an interesting one the, the tools and the process the first one and i still I knew I a tool that I had in my 20s and even my teens is when I'd um, stuff up, whether it's dr- drunk and disorderly, getting in fights, um, whatever, uh, abusing police, whatever it was, um, I'd go away to the bush because I knew when I went away to the bush and did, I'm like, ah, I'm not in that environment. So I knew it was a simple form of me knowing my environment that I put myself in. I knew all about that back in the day. And that was my go-to. Now, I used it as a type of escapism, but as I got later in my 20s, it helped me sort of, the more I went away to the bush, my fishing, my adventuring, my my um, hiking and all the things I used to do, I used to do that more and more and notice how I had a massive impact on the length of time I could actually have my life in order. The more I did that. But then every now and then, my my... Again, I didn't give it the label of self-sabotage because I never even learned about what that even was, like till even my mid-30s, the language around all these things. But what I would do, I go, okay, I haven't been out for a month. I've been a good boy. All right, let's catch up with the boys. I can go a bit harder this night. And that was a self-sabotage pattern because I was doing really well. But then it was like my, my stuff-ups would get more severe or more intense or whatever it was. Then it's like the next time I'll do three months. <laughs> isn't that just classic behavior like yeah just oh well I, I can stop anytime i want but then you just go all right we're gonna unload and, and it, it was the and i if you were to measure my 20s especially the the stuff ups were i would go harder i would drink harder i would do more drugs and then i generally end up fighting and and like not give a stuff and it was the same how i played my footy and everything the, the later i got in my 20s the more I realized, the more of a break I had in my environment or did the things I loved and valued, I'd come back and the, the sabotage was more intense. It was worse. So this time and moment I mentioned at the start of the, the, the podcast there, that's why this was a, such a pivotal time for me because 
I really gave myself little choice at the time. I'm like, I'm going from Melbourne to the Pilbara and now back Western Australia. A month at a time, I get drug tested, I get breath owed, all these things. There was these limitations that a lot of people don't like that for me, I saw that I knew they were going to serve me. Now, the one thing that I did, I, I still, even when I went over there, I worked for seven weeks straight. I was very tired, run down, burnout, feeling unhealthy, but really happy. I was earning good money. I went back for one weekend and I drank again, even though I'd committed and declared and I didn't enjoy it. I was almost like this test. Mm. After that, I literally bought a heap of stuff from Victoria to the Pilbara. I knew my environment had changed. The fishing was epic up there. The exploring was amazing. It was actually something that could align to my values. Um, and it was a huge distraction and there was a lot of escape, but I just I just moved up there. I was living on camp. Um, I was working whatever hours I wanted and threw myself into my work, which created more things down the track. But for that period, why it was that defining moment, that massive change in environment, that that was the key. Mm. So part of the removing yourself from self-sabotage was having like boundaries or, or limitations as you put them. Yep. Finding something that actually did align and filled you up. Yeah. Was it as simple as that or were there no, actual it then? Pro- well, like, it, was, tell- it was hard. Um, yeah. I could admit this now. I wouldn't at the time and I wouldn't for many years. Even when I got into like personal growth and talking about my journey and that, I wouldn't. But I'm, I look back now and it was bloody hard because what I did is I was good at my job and I I got over there and I, I lost my role of significance, like running jobs and that. For six months, there was this window where I was actually just sitting on a machine, getting told what to do. Um, I felt so restricted. Um, it was really hard. Here I was starting to train my body in the gym um, and I was not very healthy with that. I never really trained in the gym through my 20s and my 40s. My, my body copped it, but I was starting to. That was a tough process. I had all these cravings and um, even late in my 20s, I couldn't eat fruit and veg for a few years because of the amount of drugs and alcohol. So my body wasn't functioning properly. So that first six weeks, especially was, six months was really hard, um, but I stuck at it. Um, I just stuck at it. That was hard. And then made a couple of connections up there, got into a role that I really liked where my significance was being met, my skill um, was being utilized. And then from there, I just threw myself into work. Now, again, that created a lot more problems down the track because I was working like 12, 14 hours a day out to impress again. This is how good I am. It was a big part of me, loved that, like loved it. And, and <laughs> there's part of me that's still like, if there was an opportunity that really, really aligned, I'd probably do something like that again, even if I could have my family there and all the things. It was amazing up there. Yeah. But again, it was like, it was tough to transition into that. And work then became my addiction. Work, um, earning a lot more money, the significance that came with my role. I had major anger problems. Like, <laughs> they, they didn't go anywhere. They, I just suppressed them and it actually came out in a different way when I was in this job. And I got a big reputation, two things. Significance meant because I was epic at what I did. I got the big jobs. I looked after the big crews and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, I had a reputation. It's like, just just be gentle around him, be kind, don't cross him. Mm. Don't mess with him because he'll lose his shit. And that went on for years. So I had that double reputation that, yeah, again, looking back, I, I didn't like the anger part, but again, it was a catalyst. Yeah. 
I want to come back to the anger because that's something that definitely resonates with me as well in my journey. Yeah. Tell me, you've identified the self-sabotage. You've found different things that work. Is there some, is there something like a simple process because not everyone, as we've talked about before, when you and I have chatted, not everyone's got the capacity to escape the city, even though they probably need it. Yeah. What's some simple processes they can use in the day to day to recognize that they are, because as you mentioned, so often when we're in amongst it, we don't, we don't notice it. How do you recognize we are self-sabotaging and then how do we then steer ourselves to a new path? Yeah, this is good. Like right now, like it comes up for me right now, like his day-to-day stuff sometimes where it's like, oh, I think a simple one is like, I'll give you a tangible example, like health. I'm fit and strong. I look after my body. Um, I've got all my practices. I train a lot. I do breath work and body work and emotional reasons. I So much of that because my health is my so, so important. So a tangible example to talk about, it'd be like, okay, cool. I've been training and healthy and everything, but I'll have some lemonade and I do. I love lemonade or chocolate. Now I'll go and have that and feel like crap the next day. Now that's if I don't catch it, I'll go, I'm craving because I've been training so hard and the sugars or whatever. It might sound simple, but I'll feel crap the next day. And um, a tool that I, I use to grab that. It's like, okay, cool. I have health goals. I'm very goal orientated. Um, It works really well for me. Um, I think it's the way I look at it. It's like that, accomplishing the goals give that tangible target with my health goals i'm like okay i've got to be emotionally connected to that for me to catch the self-sabotage it's like okay i will having all that chocolate at 10 o'clock at night is that really in alignment with that and i can catch it now because i i put so much energy and focus into my goals um and that helps me just pause and reflect now does it mean i don't eat the chocolate no but i've paused and caught it and that's that's my that breaks a pattern just catching it yeah that'll be a simple one yeah, and even the intention you place behind it, right? Like if yep. it's like if it's an avoidance or a, a, a desperate need, and as opposed to a, I'm, I'm actually just going to make a conscious choice that I know this may have some impacts, but I'm going to have it anyway because I really enjoy it. I don't know about you, but there have been different times where when you're on the growth journey, where you're like, "Man, I've just removed all the joy from my life trying to be this fucking perfect yeah. person. Maybe I'll just have a chocolate bar. Maybe I'll just have a beer. Maybe I'll just do whatever so I can." Yeah enjoy life crazy exactly yeah it's interesting that and um yeah, the self-sabotage shows up in so many things and a lot of the time we don't recognize it till after as well and i think that's a great if you get good at reflecting um if you have like practices or something like that like at the end of the day or at the end of the week where you actually just go over your week a little bit without being too rigid that can help you pick up on some of the self-sabotage patterns that you might have been unconscious to at the time um, I'm massive on my practices, intention at the start of the day with everything else. And just even if it's a reflection at the end of the day for a minute or two, like how how was I feeling today? I'm like, yeah. how was I in relation to the three priorities I had? Things like that. Um, they're simple. They're really simple to implement. And it just allows you to um, catch that stuff and then and then decide to be a little bit better. Yeah. That's the key, isn't it? Like you start off making changes and you suddenly see the potential to be somewhere further down the track and there's that impatience and that desire to run from zero to a hundred it's like yeah no just just keep making incremental changes that's that's where the real sustainable change comes yeah no exactly and then that's the and i think a lot of people what i see anyway clients and even like people in generally 
it's all or nothing. It's like, all right, I've caught the self-sabotage or the behavior is not working. All right, I'm going to go 100 mile an hour in that other direction. And they wonder why they can't make it sustainable or make it work because it's, mm. it doesn't work that way. No. For some people it does, but it's like first it's a choice and it's like be okay to, to go through the process step by step, incremental changes, let them compound. That's how you get long-lasting results. Love that. Mm. Now, Steve, I want to go back to you talked about your dad, and and this is where I, that I I resonated the anger, and you said that when when he came to the hospital, like he was going to ground you in his way, which which is like probably a reflection of how the times were back then. But for me, I always you know reflect on well, what what would the upbringing have been like for our dads as well, given they yeah. would have been coming out of war and all sorts of really challenging times. So. Are these conversations you've had with your dad around like your own anger, his stuff? Like, like how have well, you reflected conversations, on Conversations, no. And it's a fascinating relationship I've got with my dad. And I've done a lot of – I started my journey healing a lot around that because I had very similar anger patterning, you could say, or behaviours. Um, I was very different in relationships, but it showed up a lot. He had a lot of anger at, at things and stuff like that. But – um, recently, the way I could probably best describe this is in a lot of the trauma healing that I've done recently, it, it came up that here I was deep down searching for these conversations. I need to sit down with my dad. I need to hear these words. I need to talk to him. Where in fact, this the process I was on allowed me to see from afar all the great things my dad was doing and how he communicated in his own way and how how we do actually have an understanding and um, letting go of that attachment to go, oh, we've got to sit down and talk about this. Um, that. Now, it may come one day, but I'm actually not searching for that conversation where we get on the same page or anything like that now. Um, my dad is um, hes amazing. He's taught me all the skills that I know I need, like the bush stuff, like the fishing stuff, all these things that are relevant, even how to be a really good dad. In the, in the pockets of his time away from his work, he was present with me all the time. Um, and... In his own, my understanding of how he shows love or appreciation and all that, a communication is not words because <laughs> for so long I was wanting him to understand me in my way. But as soon as I got that understanding to see how he, he, he takes action. And I think a lot of men are like this too, that the actions yes. do speak louder from words. My dad is totally like that. He's so committed, dedicated to his friends, um, his family to a point. That's his own thing, all that. But the understanding that I've had recently, especially around that, again, I'm like, I don't even think I need to talk about this. Um, even when I left the mines, he, the, how he started a phone call, I'd made it in his eyes. I got to the mines. It wasn't stuffing up anymore. I was making good money. I had all the toys. Every phone call after I left the mines, like, you making money doing that crap you're doing? And then, <laughs> then there was no conversations about it. I spoke my truth around it. And then there was an understanding. I was, that's, how, that's how we roll. Um, and I'm sure a lot of listeners, um, men out there, probably have interesting or similar um, relationships with their dads. Yeah, 100%. Uh, mate, so much gold in that. I walked that same path. Externally wanting this, that, and the other. Part of me assigning blame. I don't know if that resonates with you because you want to have a reason why you went and did all the things that you did instead of actually taking that time of self-reflection and go, well, how can I come at this differently? Because ultimately that's all we can control is actually doing exactly what you described. Yeah. 
recognizing all of the good because again same conversation with me around my dad had all those different frustrations and it's like actually he was awesome and he did this and he did that and he provided this for me and like what an awesome role model in this area and exactly like you described action and i know we've talked about this a bit as well it's like bringing men back to that action that's in all of us to actually we've in a way grown grown soft getting back to actually standing up and, and taking the action that needs to be hap- needs to be made that we need to make happen and and then finding the tools to to actually yeah go and do it yeah and it's and i think like you mentioned before like generations before us were brought up differently generations before that were brought up differently and i know the you could call it the war on men and masculinity whatever you want to call it like with wars and all these sorts of things there's been a societal conditioning that the previous generations have gone through, which has been hardcore. And it's men like us now that are awake to this sort of stuff. And having an awareness of that too allowed me to have so much more compassion for, say, my dad and his generation and the generation before. And having that compassion helped me be... I still think there is an element where we need to judge things to make a choice or a decision or give it meaning. Um, But it's allowed me to not judge it and hold on to that judgment to go, well, you were this or you weren't this for me or... Because like his his thing was, and there's a lot of us, go to work to provide the money, work my ass off, be dedicated, committed to my boss, to my company. And he had lots of letdowns with that and worked his ass off for a long time. But what did it come at the impact of? Relationship with my mum, definitely. Um, relationship with my youngest brother. Um, there's not really a good one there. And um, even that period was um, interesting. And and But for me personally, being the eldest in the family and, and reflecting like, Again, all the stuff that I, I see as relevant as a man of being being grounded, being a bit rough around the edges in a healthy way, um, providing or presiding over my kingdom, that's the way I look at it because I truly resonate with, oh, the man should be the only provider and that sort of rubbish. But there is an element where it's healthy for us to provide. All them things that my dad was a great example um, in there, I'm like, yeah, that's reflected in me definitely. And I tell you what, without the bush skills and the adventure skills, I I actually don't know. That's like a huge part of me, and I and I got that from I modelled that from my dad. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's an inbuilt need to protect and provide, right? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. In a way, you mentioned like the you know the the, the toxic language that we've been taught and and the different patterns and conditioning. I reckon so many men don't even know how they're supposed to act anymore. Like there's, a, there's this urge for them to want to step into their strength, but then they're like, oh, but that might offend someone. That might have upset someone. It's like, man, we are just too fucking offended these days. Like, so how do, how do we, from your perspective, help men to step into their power and strength and not be at the mercy of someone else's agenda and ideas of who they should be as a man? Well, I think the first thing we've, we've got to show them like and i think this is they need they need actual models of men i remember reading a book a few years ago from a guy called garrett white um and he just said in there he went on this mission to try and now i don't resonate with the guy but i loved his story and his teachings in that i'm like yeah but this story how he shared he, he knew he'd fucked up his life and had all these things that weren't working and he's like all right i'm gonna go get a mentor one mentor that's got all this shit sorted and he couldn't find anyone any courses any men no he goes there was parts and here he goes who are we meant to model as men 
He goes, there's no one who can teach me to be a man. That resonated with me because you look at society right now and the politicians, sports people, um, what TV celebrities and all this that we've been conditioned with and all the agendas that are play. Um, it's really hard for a man to, to go, where do I look? Where do I start? What do I do at the moment? Now, there's a change coming with this right now, but men need models of men that we probably didn't have. A lot of men growing up, they modeled their mum's energy because mm. their dad was always at work. You go back to the previous generations with war and stuff, they modeled their mum's energy because the mum had to, oh, wait, women back in the workforce and all this sort of stuff. So a lot of the men in this generation have been conditioned to model their mum's energy on how to be a man, which is so distorted, not taking away from the superhero mums. Of course. that's where, Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things. But I think no matter what, if a man's not happy, He's feeling unfulfilled. He's feeling a bit stuck or lost. He's just got to say, well, this is, I'm here for more. I'm built yeah. for more. I deserve more. What that is, I don't know, but I'm going to I'm gonna take responsibility for everything in my reality right now and I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, and you don't have to wait for this big moment of having an epiphany. In my mind, you've had that moment. Like everyone's had a moment. It's like how much bigger a moment are you waiting for before before you'll actually take the action? It's generally pain. You yes. would, you would. It's generally the pain that that um, motivates the man, even though it's a short term motivator, motivates the man to go, holy shit. Whether it's um, a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, or a loss of several relationships, or the kids don't talk to them, or parents die, or what, whatever's going on, they're like, holy shit. But again, like you say, it doesn't have to be that way. Like. Where's the motivated in the things that light us up? Yeah. Ah, that's the key. Yeah, and and the pain, for most people it's showing up in physical pain and it's it's the, the dog on the nail, right? He's whinged enough to whinge but not whinged enough to do anything about it. And, yes, for me it was my back. It, it yep. went and it went and it went and I'm just tolerated it for years, not sleeping, all this sort of stuff, until it went completely. I'm, like, I'm lying on the ground going, I need to be somewhere now. I've got to get a child to childcare. I've got to get to work. I've got to do all this and I can't move. It's yeah. usually that. It's like, oh, man, we're stubborn bastards, aren't we? Like, why do we have to wait for that? So how, how, what's your best tip on getting men to recognize that the pain is already there and a catalyst for them to actually start taking that action? Again, what uh, – there's probably a couple of answers I could give to this. The way I, if a man comes to me now and they've got that realization that they're, they're not where they want to be or stuff's not working or they're, they're not happy or whatever it is, when they come to me, I just remind them that they've taken the first step. Men, are, we've got awareness. This is the thing. Like, men are not stupid like we're pretending to be. Even if we're not awake to certain things, no. We know inside when something's not right. We know. Now, I, I don't know any man, and most men won't admit that. We know. It's yeah. the catalyst is going, okay, I know something's not right, and I'm going to have the courage to be vulnerable to at least let someone know. That's, that's the catalyst right there. As soon as you are witnessed in this, that then, especially, like I say, men that reach out to me, they've got no fucking choice but to, to stick to something. I'm either going to give them... Uh, a solid, solid bit of guidance on their way out the door or I'm going to give them 
some really, really strong accountability to hold to that first inkling that they know something's not there. Yeah. I, I seriously think that men, we, we have the awareness. We do. Hmm. Being able to act on it is the key, like you said earlier, action. Action. We're built to freaking take action. Our healthy <laughs> yeah. masculine. We are. And without going into the distorted polarity stuff, like we are built to take action. And that action can be meditating. That action can be sitting out in the garden. <laughs> that action can be laying on the couch, just chilling. But we yeah. have to be intentional. We have to intentionally take action because that's what we're built to do. If we don't do that and we're avoiding taking the action that's aligned and stuff, that's when there's problems. Yeah, 100%. Now, you mentioned suppressed anger. Again, that was a big one for me. I, I can recognize the, the the moment from as a teen where I just made a decision to roll over and, and no longer express my anger. And, of course, what happens is it, it bubbles out in different ways. So you mentioned work. For me, it was more sporting field. And as a parent, they were, they were two motivators, particularly as a parent, to want to change and to, to learn yep. to not suppress. Initially, I went into this place of, you know, peace and, and calm and all these different things. But that's just another version of suppression. It's another pushing it down and and then finding real ways to be able to to do that. So so how do you now channel that anger to help yourself to be able to move through it in a healthy way, which that way it doesn't flow forth to your family and other people in your world? Oh, well, all my friends and family know I'm very openly expressed. Um, now, that in a way was a lot of projection in the past, projection of anger and everything. And it was actually when I was um, going through a lot of NLP stuff and they got a model there showing the a range of emotions and the anger is like the first one to go to. And what resonated with me was like it'll fight to keep the others suppressed. And I've been angry and openly expressed with my anger all my life, uh, reputation in sport, especially sport. Um, then my my job um, around even even in relationships was where I tried to calm it and I couldn't because it was just bottled up shit and then the reflections were too strong. Um, but having that that understanding, like, okay, if anger is something that's keeping them other ones in and I know I need to feel them, oh, wow, okay, somehow I've got to have a healthy outlet or a healthy way to navigate this. I think a, I think a misconception out there is sports a healthy outlet for anger. Well, partially it can be a tool, but you need other stuff to go with that. You can't yeah. just go and take it out in the gym. You're actually, what I was doing was being hard on my body. All right, I'm going to have that outlet in the gym. Like, ah! And underneath it was like, fuck you, Steve, you're not good enough. Like yeah. I see a lot of men do that. Yeah. Um, but we're having the understanding, so cognitively having the understanding that if anger was doing that, that actually anger is my superpower. Whoa, when I, when I heard that from someone, I, I don't know if I read it, I'm like, oh, what if anger is my superpower? I've just got to learn to love my anger at the same time as starting to feel deeper and doing the work and doing healing and trauma healing and things like that. If anger is my superpower, I'm like, I'm fucking Superman then because I, I can tap into anger like that. <laughs> yeah. So some of the processes I do now, number one is um, pause and I express. Again, all my friends at my wedding, a bunch of speeches, they go, if you know Steve well, he's very openly expressed. You don't have to guess what's going on in his head, <laughs> even if he's angry. <laughs> and it's like, I've got this saying, better out than in. My grandma used to teach me that. Don't think she had the same intent to teach it, but what I took it, it is like you yeah. hold on to anger. You can pause, you can feel it, you can recognize it. That's what I do. But in a healthy way, what I do in a relationship, 
Chi, I'm super triggered right now. I need a break. I need to go out and do my thing. Now that takes courage. I'm not yeah. suppressing the anger. It's it's a go-to. It's super simple. It took time in the relationship where she wasn't taking it perfectly, but we've got a good understanding now that this is something that works for me. Um, I've got a massive boxing bag in the in the garage and a baseball bat. Now, I didn't get that for me. I got it for Chi. So if, if there's something I can't put words to, because anger is very chaotic. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you generally don't know what you're angry about really. It's not, it's not the missus left the kitchen dirty. It's not the kids being annoying. It's something deep down that's been reflected that's just bubbled up at that specific time. So I'm like, all right, baseball bat in the garage. I'm just going to feel this shit. Scream into a pillow. These, these might sound action. It's just go do something with that energy right now. Yeah. Don't try and sit and fucking quieten it. No. Like mm. with, with, with me, it's so simple. It's like, all right, I, I might go for a ride. It doesn't work for me to go to the beach. It doesn't work for me to, to just sit still. I won't do breath work straight away. I'm a huge, huge proponent of breath work. I'm like facilitator, practitioner, all that. But I won't go straight into breath work. I'll probably blow my brain out. Yeah. But I've got to go do something that's focusing on feeling this anger. I might get out a journal afterwards. I might grab my phone afterwards and speak some words that don't mean anything and just get it out. Um, programs and coaches are pretty good for this shit. And I'm like, that's sometimes I know with um, my coaches and mentors, they're like, just say anything, whatever. If you get triggered or angry or something comes up, just load my messenger up. Load it up. Yeah. I'm not going to give you feedback. Just spit it out. <laughs> yeah. It's a great I, tool. I'm laughing because exactly what I did to my coach yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I do yeah. My clients take ages and they wonder why I keep saying they, they want feedback. I'm like, load my messenger up. I said, I said, I don't care what you say. I don't care how deep, dark, crazy, terrifying. <laughs> just do it because when we, when we allow that anger, we give it something, we're doing something with it, we can shift to a point where it's like, okay, Oh, wow. How, how many times I remember as a kid after I had my, my anger outlet and all that and I'd have a huge cry and then everything would chill and i have this big release. There's no different with anger. Then you have this release and then you can go, okay, oh, I know what this might be. Let's get to work on it. I have no idea what this is. I need some insight. I need to actually be witness in this and I need to go to an expert or an authority in this or something like that coach, mentor, healer, um, therapist, whatever that is. Yeah. And then I'll get into my body work as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you. If we just go back there to that, that moment, you see your parents come in, like at the time, like what was that experience like? You mentioned guilt, shame, but like can we dig a bit deeper there around like, was there a fear knowing your parents were, were coming? Was there, a, was there more, well, this is what it has to be? Um, how, how did that play out in the moment? Oh. I think at the moment I, had, I actually had a lot of relief in the moment because I was, I was having crazy anxiety and everything like, oh, my God, my phone's not working. I'm lost in the city. I'm, I think I did this. I don't know what happened here and don't know what's going on. I'm going to not get my job. I had so, it was so overwhelming. And my body was just reacting full fight or flight. The hospital didn't want me there. I was literally in the foyer. I just felt safe there. So firstly, it was relief. Then it was like, what have I done? Oh my God. 
then it shifted massively to, yeah, guilt and shame, but it was probably like I knew in that moment, I go back to it, I knew I'm like, I can't keep doing this shit. This is the worst ever. Like this is, I just can't. And it was a lot of fear. I was a lot of fear around um, what did my parents actually want to do with me <laughs> and like did they want to disown me? There was stuff like that coming up. It was like, and there was, I was also questioning like how good are my parents? Holy shit. It was this range of, right. yeah, it was this big range of up and downs and up and downs. I had a lot of anger come up towards myself. Um, but again, I think the, I think the anxiety or whatever it was, I, I actually think the guilt and shame was the overwhelming one. Yeah. Mm. The, and the I didn't want to talk to them. I even yeah. think I said, yeah, I, I even think I told them I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. To cover because I just was not, yeah. I just didn't want to open up to them then. <laughs> a, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what it was. It was silence all the way. Yeah, it's embarrassment, isn't it? I think back to those times where I've had to have those moments myself and it's like, Exactly like you described. Wake up in the morning. I got to be honest, not in a hospital, but I did wake up in a few houses that I did wonder how I got there. Uh, but that, where's my wallet? Like, and then you go, oh, what did I do? Because you know that it was stuff that it wasn't good, and then you try and recall, and you've got these massive black holes where you just can't remember. And it's it's that I reckon it's the unknown that it just causes so much of it and then the reality of the things that you do remember and exactly that, that the guilt the shame the embarrassment all those different things so was there a residual impact of of those feelings then going forward then for the immediate future well the original first and foremost i use it as a fire that that situation i really use it to to drive and motivate me and again knowing what i know now it was a short-term motivator but it, it worked it was like that, I didn't want to feel that again. I, and I actually think this is really relevant for, for men listening or even um, people listening. It's like when we use these short-term motivators of other denser or heavier emotions and stuff like that, it's, it's actually part of the suppression model as well. It's like you use them as that supercharge, but as soon as you don't feel them, you think, oh, they're done, they're gone. But the residual from this, they would start popping up again. They they definitely would. And whether it was flashbacks of things that happened in my 20s where mine wasn't waking up in people's houses or what I done. Mine was Wednesday afternoon, police knocking on my door and I had no idea why and telling my mum that I'd done something on the weekend that I couldn't remember. That oh, wow. so I, I had lots of stuff start to come up from that. I lost um lost my be- best mate in my early twenties, which was a huge time in my life in a car accident. And I started to get the suppressed emotion start to come up for that. Every time I'd go back to that instant that moment when I sabotage before I was coming in the mines. It, it, it was this link to all these different times where I either felt guilty, um, unheard was a big one. Um, but yeah, it, the residual and, and it wasn't really, and I think this is the thing, it wasn't really, I lost another really good mate in the mines to suicide. They found him in the donga and that, that was actually pivotal of when I woke up. <laughs> But I remember that there too because leading up to when he committed suicide, I was this emotional wreck. Every couple of days I had to drive off site and just bore my eyes out. I had no idea. And this was happening repeatedly for years. It got worse and worse until I lost my mate to suicide. Um, that was two years before I left the mines. But as soon as I – that was another point. I'm like, holy shit, that was a slap in the face. And I asked the question, what am I on the planet for? As soon as I did that – 
it was highly emotional. That was like the next part of like me, all the residual feelings and suppressed emotions. I actually started to be okay to start to go, all right, I think there's something's wrong with me. <laughs> this isn't normal, like actually crying a lot and all this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, well, I've got to do something about this. So, so what I know of grief is that obviously we grieve in the moment. It's also all of the the tidal wave of or tsunami of everything that comes up possibly linked to that. So yep. can you draw a bridge between losing your best mate there and then having another mate like in the mind? Like it was like a it was like a big yeah a bridge. It's probably a good visual that I could have from it from there to there where there was a lot where I didn't deal with at the time from my early 20s from my best mate. Um, I tried to talk about it, but I hit the alcohol harder. I hit the drugs harder. And again, I wasn't heard because I was not, there was no respect, right? No self-respect and that sort of thing. But that all was coming up in tidal waves, totally. Um, And I think the thing of asking, I asked a question, I literally stood in a paddock in the Pilbara full of spin effects. Like I was in shock of losing my mate that I confided in that helped me navigate the mining life. Great guy, all this. I was in shock about that. And all of a sudden I started feeling all these things. It was like the turning of the loop. Um, and it wasn't closed off. It was like, you gotta, you got to feel all this stuff. You've got a lot of stuff that's coming up now. Um, and, and it was part of, you could say, that next step was part of a grieving process. And I started to allow myself to feel. I think that's what it was. Now, I wouldn't at the time say, yeah, I'm grieving that or any time admit to that. But if I look back, definitely, yeah. Mm. Did, did, was there part of you that felt guilty or responsible given this was someone who'd carried so much of your load and now like then you go, oh, wow, and he wasn't coping with his own stuff? I'll tell you, I can, I can talk to you about this and I can talk to people uh, about this. It's not something I've spoken about a lot and I think it will be relevant for this. The night before um i'm very in tune with my energy um, i do a lot of stuff now this rah rah and like let's get the men out and about but i'm very in tune with my energy and i was actually starting to wake up to this then the night that my mate committed suicide i just had this overwhelming urge that i needed to talk to him oh wow it was it was intense and i didn't because i didn't understand what this urge was i'm like oh my mind's like well you need to talk you don't want to bother him tonight but deep yeah. down and then the next day when i found out i all i was going like holy shit you should have, you could have, yeah. maybe you could have. So I had massive amounts of guilt come up. Um, That's I, I really mean. did. And yeah. I think the difference then with that guilt and that shame, I was able to catch that and go, hey, but, dude, <laughs> yeah. breathe through this one. Like there's some things that we take. It was a great dude. The boys on the side. It was it was devastating for a lot of the men and all that sort of stuff. And again, it was a huge catalyst for me. And I think in a good way. Um, not that I wanted to call that in or anything, but it was a catalyst for me to go. All right, this there's a next step happening here, dude. There's something deeper that you're ready to commit to or honouring, mm, or mm. there's a calling happening now. Um, and that that got ignited then too. It took me still two years to leave the mines, but that was pivotal as well. Yeah. For me, it's like these, these moments come and then and there are times down the track where you're like, there was so much positive that came out of that and then going through the process of trying to make sense of that and and actually be okay with that because it's like how could something so traumatic 
bring positive. That's more guilt on top of that, right? So, yeah. so how did you navigate that part of it? Given that, well, it did set you on this journey, but at some point down the track, you, you face that reality of actually, it's been one of the best things that's happened in my life. How yeah, well, both? it's one thing that came from it, it. It brought me closer to my boss because that was his best mate as well, and my boss like ran a massive company. Um, I resonated with him well. We already got along really well, but that brought us closer together. We were having conversations about life, and although he had some unhealthy aspects, it was really good to connect with a man on a deeper level. Um, we had a real resonance that helped me a lot there, um, and it wasn't guidance. It wasn't um, do this, do that, or this is going to help. It was just two men unpacking their grief um, yeah. in our own knockabout boy kind of way, you could say, um, and that helped a lot. But it wasn't until I actually um, committed to a men's program that I actually was like this timing of like I knew my time was done in the mines. There was a mining downturn um, where all the boys were put off work except myself and there was a couple of offers coming my way to keep me working because they knew, well, they thought they knew, as soon as I stopped work, another company would go boom. Um, but I was done in the mines and I actually turned back a couple of higher paying, you could say better jobs at the time. And at the same time committed to, all right, if I'm not going to mine, what am I going to do? I don't want to dig holes anymore. I don't want to run crews anymore. I just need a break. I can't be happy by myself. Why would I want to be around people? All right, I'm just going to go and renovate an apartment, but I committed to a men's program. Um, and in that program, there was a retreat six months later, but in the process of that men's program, there was a task we had to do. Now, I was not a big fan of social media at the time. Go back to 2013, 14, 15, I've got like pictures of me holding fish and snakes. That's all I had the courage to put on social media. Still doing all that too, odd, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> all the odd dodgy comment. <laughs> that was it. Right, yeah. Comment on the footy. Like it was something, that's all. But this program had a task where we had to not only show up in the group every day, and share, answer some questions and share a selfie in the group with a bunch of other men. We had to do videos on Facebook talking about shit. Now, <laughs> this was huge for me. Now, I remember the first one in the mines. I, when I commit to something, especially back then, I'm like all in. I'm like, I've got to do this. And I had so much stuff coming up. Oh my God, I'm going to share something on social media. I'm going to share a video on I've committed to bettering myself. For me, for what I'd portrayed on the surface to do something like that then, I was petrified. Yeah, like yeah. I had the biggest masks up. I was this hard, tough dude that worked his ass off, that enjoyed life on his breaks and all this sort of stuff. It was a facade and I knew this. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to say I'm committed to something. And I remember sitting in the, the work ute in Port Hedland, late for my flight, the only one that day that I could catch, and I had to fly to Perth, then to Cairns. If I missed this, I was stuck in the pill, bro. I didn't want that. I'm like, I've got to record this video. I recorded this. I think it went for, like, I don't know how many minutes. might have been seven or eight minutes. I don't know. But I was petrified. I remember recording it, saying I've committed this program, and I think this is what's going to happen, and these dudes do I don't know what I said. And I just turned the phone off, and I didn't turn it on until I got to Cairns. The stories were running crazy in my head. What have I done? People are going to judge me. People are going to think I'm in a cult. Some of the comments actually manifest for that. Don't worry. Yeah, they did. But but what I got from that was so much support, praise. Oh, my God, we didn't know. Are you okay? But this is great. Why aren't more men doing this? And I wasn't expecting that part. Yeah. So when I got that little taste of it, my next video 
The next video, I spoke about losing my mate when I was 24 and how hard that was. And what that started to do, I started feeling it. I think I cried in that video. I got so much support. It blew my mind. Spoke a bit to my significance, which little did I realize at the time was actually a healthy part I needed to keep me keep me going. Yep. Then the next one, I started unpacking my mate in suicide, being in the mines. I started to actually go, this is actually good speaking and being witnessed in this. Still scared, shitless, don't worry. That's why little significance piece was important to me. <laughs> but I started unpacking this online. I started talking about this stuff. Um, and, yeah, there was some um, judgments, a lot of judgments on the way. But, again, like one of my things I know I'm really good at now is like when I commit to something and I'm going to do something, I want to be fucking good at it. I, I do. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get really good at doing whatever this I'm doing right now. The, the, the personal growth sales, I'm going to get really good at this. I'm going to go, I'm going to be the one that plays full out. Like I'm going to be the one that stands out in the group of men. And, and that really served me well. And um, I think I've unpacked it a lot over the years, mate. And there's still times now where I I have vulnerable moments where someone will ask a question and I'm like, whether I'm at an event or a treat or in a group and it just touches on something like, oh, holy shit, I'm going to share something. It's vulnerable. I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't prepared for this. And there's still more to unpack from this. And I'm okay with that now. So, yeah, I can go on lots of stories about how that, yeah, how I was able to to visit that or express that or unpack that or or navigate that. Yeah, yeah. that's powerful, mate. Thank you. Mm. So you mentioned before you talked about some some limitations that you placed on yourself and or, or you went into the mines and there were limitations and that actually served you. Could you yep. think of a more recent time? Because people listening to this are going to be at all different levels. So, so where you at maybe recently where there was a limitation, a self-placed a limitation that you'd placed on yourself mm. that did serve you and then how you realized that it wasn't serving you anymore and how you broke free from mm. that limitation. Ah, okay. Okay. So, uh, ooh, limitation that wasn't serving me anymore. I don't know. Consciously, I don't know if I can say there was a limitation I placed on me myself because, again, I set boundaries now. But if there was – actually, this is this is relevant. Like I'm an entrepreneur. I love working. Yeah, I'm a coach and I do a lot of things. I'm an entrepreneur and I love working. I love that. But um, one of the limitations I had, and it was a limiting story, but it served me well for a while, is like – <laughs> I need to work a lot of hours to make money. I need to work more hours to make money. I need to hustle to make money, Gary V style. <laughs> yeah. now, this did serve me to a point. It did serve me. But where I I really took a long time to shift away from this, um, but where I realized it didn't serve me when it was costing my relationship, um, definitely when I became a dad, definitely. Um, yeah. But... The, the biggest thing it was costing me was me time, like filling my cup. Yeah. And that's why it's great in a relationship with um, my beautiful wife, Chaitanya, who's so deep in the work. We have this self-awareness and we've done a lot of work to really understand each other um, from a non-judgmental place. Don't worry, we had our moments on the journey and we still do, but this one of how we fill our cup, as soon as I was, she used to, this is, this is the, the thing now, if... 
in her words, if I'm being, I don't know, a C-bomb, if I'm being that, (laughs) she's like, you need to go away tomorrow. You need to go fishing, (laughs) hiking, camping tomorrow because you're being a, that's it. I'd be doing that every second day, wouldn't you? To make, and I'm joking. (laughs) Yeah, but here's the funny thing. I'll get to the evolution of this. I think it's really important to share what, what this has provided in my life. Like, I still love working and I still work, if you measure it in hours, a lot. But the way I define that has changed a lot. But as soon as I've implemented something where I've stuck to having boundaries around not how much work I do, no, if my cup's filled, I need to fill my cup. That's the positive boundary I have with myself right now. My income is not determined by how many hours I work. My income is not determined by how many people I help. Now, that that might sound contradictory to a lot of coaches or people out there. It's not. Even I was even coached that I need more clients and that's bullshit. But I needed to transition and the more I filled my cup, not only was I more energized and I could serve from a place of a full cup and create a bigger impact in my clients' lives and all that, I actually started getting less clients. But I, I found that the clients I had were more aligned, the breakthroughs I have are more profound. And again, I'm an entrepreneur. I have a number of income streams. The other income streams that were aligned took off. <laughs> well, not because I did more. All I did more of was filling my cup. It improved my relationship because I was better at listening to understand, better at communicating. Um, I was better in the relationship as a father and more present because I was getting my cup filled. Man, so true. And I don't know if you found this with your business clients, but you teach them exactly the same thing and help them just to get on top of their own personal stuff. We don't need to teach them any more business stuff. If you're if you've been in it for long enough, you know everything. You've learned all the different types of ways that you can do it. Now you just yep. got to go and, as you said, fill up your cup, keep clearing whatever grief still needs to be cleared, and then just go and do it. Take that fucking action. Get it done. Hundred percent. The the one yeah. thing, and this is the cap on this story at the moment. <laughs> I've taken up golf again. I used to be a great golfer when I was a kid, and um major anchor problems with sport, major, especially golf. I was kicked out of golf clubs. Like I was, I'd abused my playmates. Don't worry. It was all everyone else's fault, but I was really skilled at it. Um, and I've um, picked up the clubs again um, before we left Cairns a couple of years ago. Then the Rona come in. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't need to do that. But recently I'm like, how can I, I need to, I need something to take action on that fills my cup. I've got the fishing in that, but I'm like, there's something else. I, I was going to play Aussie rules again. I'm like, I'm like 44. I'm like, I run around kicking the footy with a young bloke and that, and I was getting a bit sore and I was doing a lot of work and recovery. I'm like, do I really want to actually play footy again? And it was a no. I'm like, no. My, my body's like, dude, you don't need to prove anything. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> play with your son. But golf. I'm like, okay. So I've taken up golf again. And the last three games of golf I've played, I've made an average of 5K per eighteen holes. <laughs> I've been awesome. filling my cup. Yeah. And joy, I haven't had to do shit. Now, of course, I've taken action before and thereafter, but the results coming on the golf course, I'm actually finding, and I'm like, I'm going to play a lot more golf now. <laughs> <Yeah>. 100%. <laughs> but it's I joy, it's play, it's filling my cup. I remember this conversation with my coach about 12 months ago. I was like, man, I... I I earn the most money the week before I have a holiday. She's like, how about you take a holiday every month? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> it's like exactly like you describe. The more you fill yourself up. Now, for those people in a job, it's the same thing. You may not necessarily be able to increase your income instantly, but taking that time off, filling your cup brings back to you value. It brings back to your strength. It brings back to you everything you need. To, it's, it's counterintuitive, but it absolutely works, yeah? 100%. And, and here's the thing. It's, it's counterintuitive for a lot too, and it's even the way societal condition with all the long weekends and that. The powers that be know that this works too, and you go away, you have a break, you get refreshed, but you go back into something that's not aligned and you become the slave to the system. And I think yep. that's the key to this too. The only reason this works for me now is I'm doing things that are aligned. And, and, and that has taken me a lot of work to get to that point. Um, and anyone with a job, I used to be big on get out of your job that's not aligned, but it's like anything. There's a process. But if you're aware that anything in your life, especially a job or career is not serving you, then you actually need to take steps to get out of that or be open to look at other things. Otherwise, you are going to down the track, have some regret or have some whatever. And I think without going on too much of a 10, the last two and a half years have given people enough opportunity Yep. With mandates and all the stuff to go, hey, here's a sign from the universe that you've got a chance to actually look at this and actually maybe just get out of your own way and go, yeah, well, I don't agree with this. I'm, I'm going to be open to something else and take action on it. It's been the 100%. biggest gift ever for, for people this last two and a half years. And to me, that is why currently we have post pandemic fatigue because people saw all the possibilities. They liked slowing down. Now they've gone back to, to the rush of, of having to commute to work and rushing their kids around all these different places. And now they're like, hang on, how did we get back here in this same grind? And what, what I would add to that is like, you know, yes, take steps to get out, but also know that you can bring alignment and you can bring your strengths to your job, change there, start creating the momentum when you're in the role because you can't just flick a switch and then suddenly find everything on the other side. You've got to, you've got to start taking the steps. Yeah. You, and that's a good point too. Like, and I think it comes back to like be a better person in the environment you're in. And yeah. then when you get to that point, you, you got the confidence in that. And it's like the, you, you're raising your vibration. Like if you're going to attract in the, the opportunities, the circumstances, the interactions, the people or whatever that are going to give you the key to the next path or they're going to give you the boost or the the insight or the synchronicity or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 And we've talked about this before. You, I see your posts when, because you mentioned before when you were younger, it was just posting a, a fish or a snake or whatever. Like you're still doing that today. And and the posts that, that catch me are like you're holding a big barra on your hand. I'm like, Steve, when the fuck are you running a retreat? that's just teaching people how to do that shit, right? And I know you've, you've like, it's in the pipeline and, and it's not the main part of what you're doing now, but tell us a bit about your passion for bringing more of that wild man to, to people, particularly people who, who need more of that in their life who are maybe in the city and, and they're in those corporate roles where they're under stress and, and you know the value that that's going to bring to them. Yeah, well, I already have done for a number of years take men and women out into the bush, nothing creepier and like that and we do a lot of release work and a lot of harmonizing work and everything in nature nature's number one for me um i i love going in nature i always bump into animals always they're always there it doesn't matter if i've run retreats or private immersion and a lizard a snake um a possum whatever 
butterflies, there's always animals there. And I think that's healing in itself. But I already do take people out there. But you're right. I have got something that I'm working on where I can integrate it. I, I would love to take um, men especially out like on a kayaking trip like a kayaking trip where they're, they're not going to be back with the car. They're not going to have a special campsite. They're probably going to have a swag. We'll go yeah. out under the stars and we're, we're going to go and we're an adventure, but we're going to fish all day. I, I love fishing. And this is, this is the thing with me, the way I see fishing. And it was like I mentioned earlier, like in my twenties, it was my escape, but fishing, I think it promotes, it's, it's like people working with tools, like men working with tools, men fixing things or building things. Fishing for me is that because it's not, all right, I'm going to go catch a fish. I just have to tie a thing on here and go, no. way I go about it, I need to, the weather needs to be right. I study the weather. Um, I need to go at the right time of the year when the fish are doing this. I need to understand where are the fish going to be. Before I even get out on the water, I, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go here. Um, I need to know what sort of gear I need. Like it's not a one-size-fits-all. Like I shared a picture the other day of a big Murray cod I got. And then there's fishing lure that's this big. Now, I just didn't walk into a shop and go, I want that because <laughs> I, I, like that's the shiniest one or that's cheap or that's the biggest, it's going to catch the biggest. No, no, no. I'm like, it's going to dive a certain depth. It's a certain weight. I can throw that a certain amount. But I still have to go out there and find the specific spot where I know that a fish might be and do the right cast. There's so much thinking that goes into this, which is really healthy to be able to Sometimes I didn't get that result to take the photo. The photo is just a result. But in the doing of this, it's so healthy. I, I yeah. feel it, it promotes this. I'm solving things as I go. I'm like, what's my solution I'm trying to solve? Fish in kayak or whatever it is. And even, even bigger for men, like there's an aspect, not the bigger fish, but there's a providing aspect. I love bringing home a fresh fish for my family. Awesome. Uh, I love that. There's a huge, and I think that promotes again a, a different sort of way of looking at providing, where it's just get a paycheck and then I'm whole as a man. It's bullshit. There's so much with this. Same as yeah, hunting. Yeah. yeah. I don't share my hunting photos on there. Hunting's my. I think hunting. I'm. I'm reserving for any. Um. Not that I think it's going to happen. Just in case there's some sort of apocalypse and I need to go hunt my food. <laughs> I'm a very good hunter, but I don't need to do it now. And uh, suddenly, people will want to know all about that, right? <laughs> I do get people requesting to take me out with like um, crossbows and that, but I, I um, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a huge proponent of killing animals. I'm not. Um, I think they're amazing and beings, but at the same time, I think some of them are here to be our food sometimes. But yeah, the the taking men out into the wild and even if it's not fishing or something, there's there's got to be some sort of healthy action, even setting up a swag, setting up a fire for some men that have never experienced that, especially with their fathers and that, never yeah. been out in nature and, uh, and like wandering around and actually taking it in. That, that can be huge for some, for some men. It's yeah, so, go on. Yeah. yeah no, I was, I was going to say, it's like, there is, there is an abundance of different results that can come from just getting out of an environment into something that you're not used to. Yeah, for, for me, it was patience, like learning patience when my dad used to take me fishing and then being able to then pass it on to my young fella and it turns out he's far more patient than me because after a few hours, I'm like, all right, let's go. He's like, no, no, we're going. Like, we've had six, seven-hour <laughs> days down there and, of course, he always catches more than me as well. But uh, <laughs> like we've said, our, our children always end up being more talented than us anyway, right? Oh, generally, yeah. And, and a good, good 
sort of to take it back to the relationship with my dad and how he taught me a lot of things. And I, I remember I wasn't patient when my dad was out there. Like I'd go away fishing by myself and catch a heap of fish. But if my dad come away and all that, I was just triggered as shit all the time. I was impatient and I was like, I was trying to impress for so long and things like this. And a recent healing I did, which was fascinating. Um, it was around um, this motivation to always want to make my dad proud around sport. And I was aware of it, but didn't really get to any root causes of it. But I started this healing journey recently going into a lot of the root causes and that. Um, and what come of that, I did have a big breakthrough where I saw my dad and all the great things he does and all this sort of stuff for me. And But I was away. And it was actually that the last picture of a fish I shared on social media, the big Murray God. I found myself straight away wanting him to send a photo, like immediately. And I'm like, oh, where's that coming from? Yeah. Like... I wanted to show him that oh, I'm good at something. I'm good at something. Um, but, yeah, now I am far more patient when I go away with the dad and all that sort of stuff, and I make sure I do because I really enjoy it. But, yeah, back in the day, I was not – that's one thing that I – yeah, that I, I wasn't, even though I had all these skills and um, these sorts of things. But, again, that's come with the growth work. It's come with the, the healing, that the, the relationship, for why I give it meaning with my dad and, um, yeah – really yeah. fascinating unwinding that yeah and and i love watching you interacting with your young fella and and teach him about animals and and you have mentioned that there have been some people that have come at you for various reasons but ultimately you're you're teaching him the reality of the situation not the fear-based version of what animals are actually all about snakes especially I'm like, I've picked up all the deadliest snakes in the world and people call me crazy and all this. I'm like, they're just an animal. And I'm like, I'm super chilled and I've got a resonance with them. And I learned that early on. And I'm like, why would I kill a snake or why should I fear it? And I, I brought that same meaning with, with River. It's actually yeah. fascinating. Somehow he's afraid of dogs. He's so nervous of dogs right now and nothing's ever happened. But you see a snake, can I pick it up? Let's get the snake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but it's, it's that teaching of him that like, hey, they're, still be conscious and aware and teaching him things with it but it's it's never fear-based it's like it's like climbing and stuff like that it's like i'm all for it go for it if he falls he falls and he never falls <laughs> there, there are little kids that grow up on the side of cliffs yeah it's, it's, like, it's boundaries and it's education and yeah, yeah. really cool um now you mentioned there before, like when you when you take people out or you go out yourself, it's there's preparation. You have to have all the things in place. You have to have the knowledge. You have to have the wisdom. You have to develop the skills. So now let's just segue into how you're helping. Do you work only with men or mainly with men? How you're helping people to then make these same changes for their everyday life? Yeah, well, my intention is to work with men. But I always get aligned women come that want to work with me. Um, I've worked with a lot more women in the past until the last couple of years where I really got clear and I'm like the, the clarity was always there, but it was like owning my truth and like, no, you are here for to help men. And I really needed to to grow into that um, that that belief, you could say. Um, and generally, it's interesting. I've got a spectrum of men that come to work with me and what I help them with. I, um, 
I'm doing a retreat this weekend and I haven't done a, a live retreat in a couple of years because of the Rona. I've been doing a lot of single person stuff in person, but I remember sending him a little bio and I'm like, oh shit, what do I write about myself this time? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and I think I sent you on, like I'm a, a, a professional sought after all-rounder in the coaching space because to describe what I do with clients, I get a range of things that they come to me with because not every person is the same. I'm not, and it's not that I'm not a master at, none and like do all these things i've like i've got all these tools that i use and i find that for example on the spectrum i've got men that come to me who might have some drug and alcohol problems or they've been doing their best to get off them and things like that and they've just got relationship breakdowns and they're struggling in their job but they're they're already taking big steps so i've got them that do take a lot of work so what i'll do with them is get them to implement simple practices and bring an awareness back that they they do have the power to change and and things like this, and bit by bit, depending on how long they work with me, we we just implement more and more things into their practices and some accountability, get them clear on their goals. It's actually really simple stuff. Yeah. It, it is, but it's repetitive and it's constant repetitive and, and that there. And then if there's any um, any need, which it generally is to come and work in person, then that's where something would align to go. Come with me for three days no technology. We go out in the bush. We'll probably fast. We'll do a heap of breath work and body work and um, whatever that comes with that. And then we'll do some integration work when you go back into your reality or in your environment. That's that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum I've found in the last couple of years is I've got a lot of um, a bunch of men coming to me that have got successes in their life. Um, they've got monetary success. They've got business success. Um, but at the same time, their relationships suck. Um, their sex life's non-existent. Um, their health isn't the best. They're not giving attention to themselves. And sometimes there's substance abuse in there, but more often than not, it's just they're workaholics. So yeah. that's sort of that other end of the spectrum I work with. And it's, it's fascinating. What do they need? Practices. The simple stuff, the repetitive action. Something yeah. I'm really, really good at is keeping people accountable as like cutting through the bullshit. I'm exceptional at that. And I'm just so grateful that my coaching role or consulting role, when you look at it, I get paid to to do that too. It's like, it's, yeah. it's amazing. The link I would draw there is that their self-sabotage is around their personal stuff and you're just giving them the simple tools to, to have the same success in that area of their life that they do in every other area of their life. Yeah, exactly. And again, it goes back to when you were asking, like, what do men need for that, like, that motivational, that trigger or whatever. Like, men know. They know. All these these men that come to me, whether they work with me or not, one of the first things they say, oh, I've been meaning to do something about this for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how long? Generally, it's years. Yeah, they, Generally, I, it's years. I find they want to be in a good space when they start it. Yeah, but it's they, not- So they wait till they get themselves back up again and then they do it. <laughs> Yeah, again, and it's it's been fascinating learning for me. Like uh, I work with a lot of people right now, aside from the coaching and consulting, who've got a lot of money, a lot of financial success in their life, and it's fascinating um, seeing the 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 similarities with them with people who haven't had a lot of success in exactly the same thing. It's like they're waiting till they've got to a good spot to do it, but then they realize that this good spot never comes, 
or they get to a good spot and then something else is not working or something else breaks down, whether it's another marriage, whether it's, well, they do have a business deal go down and whatever it is, there's always something that, that stops them from getting better. And whether it's the bridge of the marketing that, that I put out and I don't know what you put out, there's a bridge there that has them resonate enough to go, holy shit, maybe I should. Maybe I should talk to someone or Ian or Steve or whoever it is or um, maybe it's someone who said something, a bit of social proof. Like I get, I don't know how you go, right now I'm getting mainly referrals. I'm hardly doing anything on social media. Um, and that social proof comes from someone else going, you should talk to Steve and, and yeah. It's trust, right? Like the more trust you've got in the marketplace, the more people are trusting you and then you get referrals where the trust's already there. They yep. already had someone shine a lot on just all the work you've helped them with. And we've been talking a bit about this too. It's like for men, we need to come together more and, and find more ways to be helping each other. And, and yes, absolutely, women too. This is like for humanity. Yeah. But the, the unity piece is, is really big. Like the age of competition is gone. It's how can we collaborate yeah. and one, one plus one makes many, right, instead of just the, oh, I'm only going to do this if there's something in it for me sort of attitude. Yeah, yeah, that's the paradigm shift we're having right now, especially that last point you made there. It's like collaborating unattached. Like we live in abundant world. We really do. Um, the the divisive competitive paradigm is, is shifting and, and moving now and um, it doesn't mean we can't be competitive in the marketplace. Like I say, the marketplace is like the wild as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that's good. This competition is still there, but not with each other in regards to like there's no, like in Australia, tall poppy syndrome is hardcore. It's like drag people down <laughs> if you're not feeling it. It's like, it is hardcore, and men are at the core of this and create the biggest change really soon just by coming together, unattached, monetary, friggin' ego, your skills or your modalities better than mine, whatever that rubbish is. No, you're all, we've all got our genius. Let's come together. Let's let's fucking link arms and show the rest of the world that is striving for what does it mean to be a man? Where's the model of men? And and give the world many models of it, what it means to be a man. No, that's yep. that's what I think is it, it's all about. Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting you've mentioned the tall poppy syndrome. That's I did an individual podcast on that for the listeners of who listened to my individual ones. There, yeah, exactly on that. Like why? I mean, I know why because people are worried if they stick their head above the parapet that they're going to get shot at. Hmm. But why do we not encourage that? Why do we cut that down? Well, like it's time to change that attitude. It's like, no, no, like we want to celebrate other men's success. We want to celebrate people who are out there making a difference and we want to find ways to lift other people up so they can do the same. Yeah, I've, I've really learned like a few years back, I started looking to a lot of American sort of men influencers coaches business people because they were portrayed as being arrogant and up themselves but for me i'm like that is powerful men in their power (laughs) celebrating their wins celebrating their family celebrating their business but what i found the likes and i'll mention some names like ryan stewman um sean whalen these guys um ryan mickler these these guys are resonating in the u.s they are loud and proud, but they celebrate other men doing well on repeat. You, I see them on social media. It's them commenting on other dudes' stuff that have winning big. And I'm like, this is the shit. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're talking about how good they're going with this, this, this. They're copping the heat. Don't worry. They're copping the tall poppy heat like, oh, you're just up yourself. You're just arrogant. 
but they are making more of an impact by being that model that it's we we need men to celebrate their greatness. We need other men to go, you're fucking different, but what you're doing, that's epic. Well <laughs> yeah. done. Keep fucking going. Yep, hundred percent. So good. So good. So this is where you're at now in, in your life, in your business, in, in a whole lot of different things. What's the next big thing for you personally? I know there's endless different opportunities coming and, you, and you'd be across the vast majority of them. But for you specifically, like what, what are you wanting to, to bring to the world? It's like a passion piece that, that you know is going to have a really powerful influence on the way we move, the way we move forward. I think you got a taste of it yesterday, mate. Um, <laughs> definitely with the Wildman Revolution, I um, and it's it's sort of a segue from what we're talking about here on really bringing men together. What I've been blessed with over the years, even though I've travelled the world and been mentored mainly by women, um, retreats, events, immersions, all the things I've been surrounded by women. But what I've done over that time is really connected in with some some men who are really unique, um, doing their thing, entrepreneurs, business owners, fathers. Um, just like yourself, but connected in, but like the premise of my podcast, highlighting men doing great things in the world. Um, and that's something that I've just initiated. Um, it's not a new idea or anything, but I really see this as my passion project to bring in together, whether it's events, whether it's retreats, whether it's my group podcast, whatever it is, bringing that and really sticking that in the forefront of everyone's like awareness, like giving them something that's grounded heart-centered, action-solution-focused to give them an alternative to the other rubbish in society. Switch off from the politics, switch off from the fucking news, the movies, all that. I'm a movie fan, don't worry about that. But I mean the, the, the modeling of the, the images or what's portrayed in all this stuff. Give give that. That's something I'm I'm huge on. And you touched on a little bit of it before. Like I've got I've got events and stuff coming where I really want to take um, men especially out in the bush um do some things around that um i think that's in a bigger format that's probably a while off because the other the round table that we're working on that that's a really big deal um and and even that i i know it's a big deal because it's taken me probably two or three years to actually actually grow to have the courage to to say yeah this is what i'm this is what I'm birthing. This is this is this is something that really needs to happen on the planet, and yeah, it, it's a big deal. Great stuff, mate. Inspiring. Now, before we get to where people can find you, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners around your story, around grief specifically, around anything that you know would be really beneficial? Well, the first thing to just come up right then and around grief, it's, it's something I've never really resonated with, like the word and grief, but I look at my process and how my process of coming to understand to give myself permission to feel. Um, I think for, for any of the listeners out there, definitely give yourself permission to feel no matter what it is in your life, um, whether it's anger, whether it's frustration, uh, give yourself permission because when you give yourself permission to feel and it's okay to feel, um, you start to break down like that that conditioning or that programming that's around, well, you're, you're just too highly emotional or um, who are you to, to speak about this or um, the, the shutdown of your expression. I, I think that's that's a big thing. And I know um, 
some of the things we've touched on here, I've had many instances in life where I've held on to stuff for so long, so long, and I've, I, I have intentionally suppressed it, you could say, until I learned the tools, until I learned what it means, and I've got the, the amazing results from giving myself permission to feel, and it's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to not um, have shit sorted. It's okay that you're going to be judged. It's okay mm-hmm. that sometimes you do stupid and say stupid shit, it's all okay if you're going to do something about it. If you're going to just allow yourself to feel, um, that would be some value I think I'd, I'd leave the listeners with. Um, another thing too for all the men out there, um, I think this speaks for a lot of men, um, start doing shit you love. Like seriously. Yeah. Um, we all know you're going to do the best for your family and all that, but is it really the best like for your family if you're not, you're not giving yourself the joy, the, the love and, and the fun? It's not. 100%. So, yeah, I, I think that's what I, I'd leave with too, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Now, I know you said we we're going to finish on that, but when you were talking, I just thought of something else. <laughs> oh, I think I love that. <laughs> we'll be here for three more hours. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about our generation, so for those of us who are 45 plus, without going into any details, uh, we we often had dads who went off and worked or they were away for long periods of time or whatever else. And then we, that a lot of the modeling was done by the time at home with our mums. I'm, I'm really curious about this because that's something that I've probably not drawn that direct link. I understand exactly how that, that has played out, but what about, how is that, how have you seen for you to have that awareness? How did you see that that influenced you and what were the negatives and positives from that? Oh, this could be a rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it simple. I'll give the example. Like my dad used to work a lot, a lot, all the time, worked his ass off. He was a carpenter builder. I get up in the morning, he was gone. I get home at night and all he wanted to do was have a couple of beers and, and chill at the end of the day and like turn on the TV or whatever it was. Um, and there was no presence of the kids and stuff like that. Knowing what I know now about men's cycles and stuff, like we're meant to be chilling at the end of the day and all this sort of stuff, knowing what I know now, I'm like he needed that time. But what we, what mum picked up the role of, she was the caretaker through the week. She was the one there in the morning, there at night, doing the do, taking all the action all the time. Um, And that, although my mum's a machine and most mums are, like that part there to to model that of what a lot of men do call in is something similar to their mum and they wonder why their relationship doesn't work. Yeah. There's just got that energetics there. They wonder why they've got the awareness that they want the relationship to be better. They they know that they work too much and they don't want to work too much, but they don't know what to do about it. It's the unconscious programming they've picked up of what they've modeled. Um and again, I I I know this is an agenda. It's been an agenda for a century to and not taking away from women in the workplace. Oh, I want every human to live out their fucking dreams in their genius zone. Some women yeah. are epic business and working and doing all the things. But when it comes to a family dynamic and relationship, there's an agenda to bring that down. And this this role model of the the mother, father, how it's been distorted and shifted through roles in society, through wars, through through birthing parent concepts, what the fuck? Uh, through the 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 the, 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 the oh, 
Wow, that's all the news there, rather. And I'm actually really passionate about this now because it comes to the actual family dynamic. It has yep. an impact on our kids. Yep. We have these awarenesses now of what we need as children just to fill our cup. Like I'm all for like um, I'm all for gay relationships and all that. As long as the kid, if they've got kids in that sort of thing, are getting their cup filled. And we're living it for generations. But seeing society has distorted this so much. The impact it's had on us, the ones in our generation that haven't done the healing and wondering why relationships aren't working, wonder why they've got no sex life or they're addicted to porn or whatever it is or they can't stop working or um, they only love money, whatever it is. Yeah. But bringing it back to going, okay, cool, how, how do we shift and change this? So that from the awareness I've had that I definitely don't want that to repeat, coming from a very 14-an-hour-day worker, I was doing that, but I, I couldn't even get in a relationship. What did I want? I wanted a relationship. Well, I realized that I couldn't have a trade-off. If I'm going to keep working 14 hours a day, I can't have a relationship. I don't, want to, I don't want to be like my dad. The next step, okay, and I, I'm living this life now. I'm like it's one of the biggest things that I give anyone who comes to me or even if I'm putting it out there, what have I got now? I've got an epic relationship where we get heaps of quality time with my beautiful wife, with my son. I have so much time with my son that he has to tell me to go away when his cup is filled. That, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know how many, you might get this now a bit, but I don't know how many um, dads out there can say that, seriously, or even my no. Well, absolutely not. I mean, look, thankfully now, but definitely not at that age. And, and that's just what a gift to give him that self-awareness at that age, two-year-old. 100%. He, he says to me, Dad, I need some space. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but he's modeled that from TNI too, from some of yeah. the times we've been triggered or some of the times we've been unpacking stuff. But the other thing, I do live life on my terms. It doesn't mean I'm making tens of millions of dollars. That's not my goal. Yes, yeah. that's part of the picture. My goal is to live this life where my cup's getting filled. My relationship is growing and thriving. I have an epic sex life. I have an epic relationship with my son. I have a great community around me where I get to highlight my gifts and help people. Golf is in my calendar before work. <laughs> That's awesome. Mine too, by the way. <laughs> yes, but it's taken a lot of work. This yeah. is not something. I've had massive challenges financially, business-wise. We've built a business that's fallen over. We've, we've had to change the way we do this. There's been the struggles. But at the end of the day, Having these gifts from the awareness, again, of how we want our family unit to work, how we see that benefit humanity, that driver and getting the results now, like the monetary stuff comes, the, the business success comes. the It comes as a, a positive symptom of that. And it, it truly does. It takes patience. It takes the practice. It, it takes keep showing up. And it takes courage to be different too and, and to, to be okay with that. It takes courage to go, hey, you know what? I actually don't agree with how the rest of society wants to run a family. This is how I'm going to do it from a healthy place, from a whole place. Um, and I'm more than happy to talk about it because I see there's a big problem with this out there. Like, like, where do we go to model a man? How do we know? Where do we go to model a family? What, the, the fucking TV? Like, look at all the dramas and the sitcoms and all this. Where, where do you think most... Well, it starts with movies. Yeah. Well, the kids either lost a parent or their, their parents are divorced. Like, 
Once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it, but not everyone's up to that point. So uh, it'll be interesting to see it as people go back to their TVs and their movies, what they do recognize of the same pattern. Because that's what I was going to mention there, all those things you were talking about. It's the conditioning, right? It's like it's like just so ingrained that you don't, don't even notice. It's uh, what the description I heard the other day. It's, it's military-grade psychological warfare. Like that's what we're competing against in our head. Yeah. So no wonder there are different times where – like, I, I, you must still have this too where you have a breakthrough and you go, oh, my, how did it take me so long to realise this? And it's like, well, yeah. of course, you weren't ready. Well, I'm and just now about the epic life I live. Oh, I promise you. It's like <laughs> to get to here and it's not an end game. I'm not there. No. There's no there. But it's, it's, it's the breakthroughs you had when you look back and like, why was I doing that? Why was that a part of my life and I thought it was okay or – it's fascinating. It, it, it is. really is. And, and the thing that really struck me, and if grief's taught me anything, it's like when you have those big moments, you get really clear on what's most important really fucking quickly. Oh, and yeah. when I lost my dad, that was one of those moments. But then also like one of my staff when I was still in corporate passes away suddenly. I'd been doing a fair bit of coaching with him. And it's like, oh man, I feel like I mention this every second week on this interview, on these interviews, but it's like I sat there that day going, none of this stuff's important. Like all the stuff that we were talking about, about his work and all that sort of stuff. But what is most important is my health, is my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids. But how many people are actually putting that at the top of their list? So yes, you have to be a provider, but, but are you prioritizing this? I love how you painted that picture because it is. It's like that conditioning. If we've been learnt the, the, how to be a man or how to be a woman and that's out of balance, then you have lack of balance in your relationship, including in intimacy, which so many people are wanting to have but not yep. really sure how to navigate it. Well, then we have to actually take some action to change that. And yep. by prioritising, as you've talked about the whole way through, filling up your cup and making sure you're looking after yourself so that you can be of higher service to your family. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's really the key. And, um, again, I think we're, we're really shifting fast away from the, oh, that's just selfish, push, putting yourself first sort of rubbish. Um, I think we're shifting away from that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, can't remember who said this, but it's like everything that we do, every single thing we do, the good, the bad, and everything in between, we do it under the belief that it will have us feeling better. So everything, everything we do is selfish. So be selfish in a way that's actually serving you, not in a way that's to your detriment. Mm. Good audio. I'm going to give a good audio book or a book recommendation for your listeners and even yourself if you haven't got this. And this was recommended by a good mate of mine, Clindex Morgan. Um, it's called Busting Loose from the Money Game. Now, don't let the title deceive you. Um, some concepts that are shared in there, it's not really new, but in its way it's presented, um, it literally paints the picture that nothing is real except you. You get to respond or react to absolutely everything. And when you can come back to that level of radical responsibility, what I call it, 
you've got no choice but to be selfish because you're the only one who exists. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So it's, it's a good one. It's uh, it's something that um you need to listen to two or three times or read two or three times because it, it will probably start as like that's a bit over the top, that doesn't make sense, and it's like all right, that sort of does, and it's got to sink in, but that. It's so true. Like everything, everything we do in life is for a feeling. We don't take action unless we know we're going to get some sort of emotional benefit from it. Yeah. Most most of the time, for people, it's unconscious and it's a behavior or something like that. But when you can bring um, some conscious awareness to that, um, you're going to be more than happy to be selfish. You're going to be like, I'm going to be so fucking selfish right now and look after myself so much because the results for the rest of your life, relationships, family, business, money, health, all that, they're going to rapidly improve. Absolutely. And for those questioning that, oh, it's, it's only you, it's like, well, how do you know anything exists outside of your own brain? It's just what you're seeing through an eye, which is a processor, which... Uh, <laughs> you go in, everything's, everything's a hologram <laughs> and a simulation. We can do really... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we haven't got that long. Uh, <laughs> um, where can people find you, Steve? Uh, first and foremost, um, I'm running a podcast as well, the Wildman Revolution podcast. Um at the moment, I'm on a little bit of a pause, but there's heaps of episodes there that they can tune into. I've got some amazing men that I've interviewed on there. I'm pretty sure I'll have yourself coming up there soon, um, which will be awesome. Look forward to it. <laughs> um, also, I've got a Telegram group, a very a very small, intimate Telegram group, Wild Men Revolution as well, found on Telegram. Pretty sure you're going to probably have the links or something with this anyway. Yep, um, yep. And just on the socials, like I, even though with the – you could call it censorship and whatever for the last few years. I know my Facebook, I got shadow banned a lot and everything like that, but that's still my go-to place is Facebook. Um, I'm there all the time. Um, it's where I've, I've, I've connected with most of my, um, you could say marketplace or even friends really. Um, but yeah, they're, they're the main places you can find me and I've got Insta and all that as well, but yeah. Go to the uh, show notes and you can find them all. Yeah, Steve, that was awesome. That's the longest one I've done in a while, but we we knew when we yeah. jumped on that it would be. So thank yeah, you I've for not bad, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get you back again. Thank you yeah. for sharing so openly and sharing your wisdom and knowledge and uh, and your wild man revolution, mate. Cheers. No, thanks for having me. Thank you. It's been epic. You're welcome, mate. Appreciate you being on here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.